It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. And this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And I'll say that one more time. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. It's been a while. It's been a while. We have changed the show time to 8 o'clock my time. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. So we're back at regular 10 a.m., you know, what I consider a normal time of the day. And there's so much to talk about, so much to catch up on. It's just been so much happening in the news. I don't even know where to begin to start. But I know I wanted to finish up our discussion on the N-word. And it's really not too much more to go through because I actually really would like for you all to pick up the book. And the name of the book is Nigger, The Strange Career of a Troublesome Word. And it was written by Randall Kennedy. So, um, you know, pick it up. Pick it up, pick it up, and go through it and take a look. And, you know, I learned a lot of things that, you know, I was not aware of in this book. So, you know, it definitely would be to your advantage um, to pick this up and take a read. Um, it talked about different things that happened, and I know this happened in D.C. Um, there was a young man, well, not a young man, but a gentleman by the name of David Howard, and he was the director of a municipal agency in D.C., and so, you know, there were budget cuts, and, you know, this has happened all over the country. I'm sure it happened in the city or town where you live, and so, you know, they had to you know, put things in order and work within their budgetary constraints, right? And he said that they would have to be niggardly with the money. And, you know, apparently some people took that as offensive, but niggardly means cheap or frugal. And there was a big hubbub about it. Um, he ended up resigning that position, and then he found another position for him somewhere because someone explained to them, you know, what niggardly meant. And so, you know, it's just really interesting because with some of these stories here, basically they're asking if there's a hypersensitivity to the N-word. And I, you know, it's just interesting, you know, how you can do that. But, you know, one, one example they gave in this situation was, you know, when they were explaining to him that he could have chosen a better word or, you know, there are several synonyms out there for him to choose from. And so basically what they used as a comparison is, you know, this one woman, you know, who was a columnist, her name was Deborah Dickerson, and she said if a superior found a reason to mention tossing a faggot on the on a fire or going outside to smoke a fag. And so basically, you know, in Europe, primarily 
in London, they call cigarettes fags. And so it's just interesting. Um, but people would be upset. So, you know, she was just giving a comparison, you know, um, to the two different words. And so they're like, well, why go there? So it was just, it was an interesting story. For those of you that are interested, I would, you know, advise you to go out to see and, you know, look up some stories like this. You know, it's a lot to be done, um, a lot to be studied. Um, it, it's just, it's really, really interesting. Um, yeah, so, you know, we have to go back and we have to look at this and, I know one of the arguments out there is why do we give that word so much power? And what people need to understand is that we did not come up with this word, and you know, as far as the negative aspects of it, you know, that's not something that we thought of. So, you know, it kind of falls into the conversation that many of us have had. I know we talked about it on the show, and it won't be the last time we talk about this show. But with some of these social constructs that are out here that were put into place by white people, it's going to take white people to tear down those social constructs. So, you know, these conversations definitely need to be had. Um, you know, and unfortunately, it is, it's going to be tough. It's definitely going to be tough to go through these things. And one thing that I find interesting is, you know, we used to, you know, well, not we used to, but you see people running around, especially over in this, you know, secular community, and you have people calling each other coons and, you know, darkies and, you know, all kinds of horrible, horrible names. And, you know, especially as people of color calling other people of color those names. And it just confuses me sometimes. <laughs> you know, I would prefer that we not use that type of language, but, hey, you know, we we all <laughs> have uh, different ways of speaking and dealing with different issues. You know, in this book, uh, it was giving an example about a gentleman that was running for governor. And, you know, this one gentleman, his name was Paul Johnson, he was repeatedly joking that the acronym for NAACP stood for niggers, apes, alligators, coons, and possums. And, you know, it's just interesting, you know. But, again, niggers, apes, alligators, coons, and possums. And, you know, I saw something the other day. Um, I forget what it, what the article was entailing, but all I remember from the article is porch monkeys. And usually when I read articles like that, I can absorb the material, but that just stood out. And it's still early, so it will come back to me a little bit later. But, you know, in this book, it also talks about David Duke. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, David Duke was or is or was or is, I'm not sure, a member of the Klan, and he had run for office on several different occasions. Well, to make a long story short, when President Obama was elected, he said he was leaving America, and he did just that, only to, 
only to travel around Europe and get kicked out of pretty much every damn country over there. So I just thought it was the most hilarious thing ever. So I don't know what he was going to do if they elect Ben Carson, but that's a whole different story in and of itself. So, you know, guys, like I said, shake up the word. Um, we need for you to understand the stigmas behind the word, you know, nigger. And I don't even like to say the word, but, again, that's the name of the book. And, you know, when people are insulting you, you know, they don't say N-word. They call you nigger. So, you know, we just have to be careful and to go out here and to basically educate ourselves on situations like this because it's important because there are people out here that, you know, will challenge you that actually look forward to a debate. And I want to make sure that we are informed. And I know I've had some people say, well, Kim, why is this so important to you? And it's important to me because I remember myself, you know, being in situations in which I had to defend something or defend myself. And when I didn't have the words, you know, I would just get so upset and, you know, we don't always have the language, you know, that's always, um, you know, an issue, you know, depending on the situation. But, you know, we're giving you the language, we're, we're encouraging you and, and motivating you to go out and do some research on your own. You know, it's important. That's very, very important. So, guys, you know, we're looking forward to all of this, discussing these issues with you. And, you know, there's more to come. We definitely want you to know that. And, you know, get out here, educate yourself. It's just, you know, it's important, you know, not only for this, but a number of things that are happening in this country, you know, in particular, um, the Black Lives Matter movement is still happening. Black lives still matter. We need you to understand that. And, you know, get active in your community. If you're not able to get active, there are just different ways in which you can participate. And that can be through donations, you know, whether it's financial donations or in some cases just, you know, doing some social media, sharing the information with people. You can buy supplies and send it out there. Um, there's this in D.C. Oh, it was in D.C. or Baltimore. It was in Baltimore. And in Baltimore, you know, there were some people getting together, putting supplies together and cooking meals for the people that were protesting. And, you know, you can pack lunches. And, you know, there are a bunch of things. There's always a role to play. You know, even if you can't physically get out there to march, and I mean, you may not even have the means in which to donate or you know, uh, support financially, but that's okay. You know, like I said, send someone, send one of them a note telling them, you know, good job, something, just to keep them encouraged and to keep them motivated because, you know, this truly is going to benefit us across the board. And I believe that's, you know, that's what matters. That's what's important. It's important that our voices are heard but most importantly, you know, it's, it's, we need to put together a platform, an agenda, you know, for people, you know, to understand and to, and to get our points across. 
And unfortunately, that opportunity was missed with President Obama. And because we didn't put forth any type of platform or agenda, but let's be fair about the situation. We, you know, people of color, as well as, you know, poor and working class people, we did not have anyone out here lobbying for us. And, you know, I've said that before in the past, and, you know, I, I meant that. You know, we need to have some type of person or group or organization out here, you know, lobbying for us. You know, I think it would be fruitful if we put together a political action committee and then most importantly, some think tanks. So, again, you know, these are just some ideas and, you know, we need to start working on these things. But, you know, they just kind of came to mind there and I made sure, I wanted to make sure that, um, you know, I brought that across. It was interesting, like I was just talking about the NAACP, and there are people, there are a lot of people in this country that pretty much dismissed NAACP. And one of the reasons why some people dismiss it because um, they basically say that it was, you know, brought to fruition and organized and started by a group of Jewish men um, and, and, and brought to our, you know, community. And W.E.B. Du Bois also was part of the NAACP. We talked about him. If you go and look in our archives, you'll see that I spoke with Dr. Jeffrey Perry, and we talked, you know, about W.E.B. Du Bois and the NAACP. And what's interesting about the NAACP this week is they defended um, this one woman who allegedly went around and, and identified herself as black, and her name is Rachel Dolezal. So, again, Rachel Dolezal, and it was just, you know, it was Twitter gold this weekend. You know, we had a lot of fun laughing, but it also brought up a number of other issues in which we need to address and talk about. So there's a lot that we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, cultural appropriation. And we've talked about it before, and it won't be the last time. But what Kate did, she took it to a brand-new level. And so it, it's just interesting. Um, and there were a couple of articles that have come out within the past several weeks, and I want to address that. And in one of the articles, it was talking about how humanists, you know, help to foster economic injustice. And another article that was talking about um, the atheist or secular movement, you know, is it based in white supremacy, the cover for white supremacy, so it's, it's interesting. And then there was an article on libertarianism that um, Robert Gross put on my wall, and I appreciate that. And, you know, we definitely want to talk about that as well. And especially the strong, you know, strain or the strong uh, foundation of libertarianism in the secular community. So it's interesting. You know, we need to dissect these particular issues and move forward. So, you know, again, um, so much to talk about. 
<laughs> you know, so, yeah, if you all get a chance, you know, go pick up this book. It's an excellent book. It's a small book, so it's not a hard read, but it's a lot of information packed in here. But, um, you know, it was giving just some other examples, you know, um, so, yeah, so, guys, so, anyway, I missed you, and I can only hope that you missed me, too. It's been a while, and so, you know, I'm trying to get back into the swing of things, so hopefully I won't be speaking in tongues today or anything like that, but if I do, that's okay, too, because it happened, so, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, so a lot of examples is talking about uh you know, Boston Magazine it did a cover on Henry Louis Gates. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Henry Louis Gates, he, he chairs a department at Harvard University, Afro-American Studies, and he was also the one involved in, you know, he went and had a beer with President Obama along with a white police officer who had arrested him when he was trying to get into his home. So apparently one of Henry Louis Gates' neighbors called the police when she saw him trying to get into his house. You know, apparently, you know, he didn't have his keys. And so, you know, just turned into a big to-do because President Obama criticized the police officer. And so, anyway, getting back to the story here, um, Boston Magazine did a story about Henry Louis Gates, Dr. Gates, and he called it head Negro in charge. And so it's, it's interesting because in in our community, when when we're talking about people who are in power, sometimes we call them the H-Nick. And so and that stands for head nigger in charge. So it's interesting because a lot of the readers of that magazine, you know, objected and they were upset about it. And, you know, there was letter writing to the editor and so it's just interesting because, you know, this happens. I mean, I'm sure many of you all have experienced this on Facebook. I'm sure I'm not the only one. But, you know, when people are upset with you or they want to refute your opinion, sometimes they start writing their responses in all caps. And that is supposed to signify yelling. And so, you know, I just find it interesting. I find it humorous when I see some of those arguments going back and forth, and especially when I hear people say, well, you said it in all caps, am I supposed to be scared? So, you know, guys, look at that article. And it was not an article um, chastising or criticizing per se of Dr. Gates. Um, It was just a profile, um, basically. And so, you know, just, (laughs) you know, go and take a look, read it, and, you know, read the the letters, you know, that were written to the editor, the op-eds there, and you will definitely be enlightened by that, you know, that particular situation. Another situation is I want you to go and check out – an article published by a man named Van Vechten, Van, V-A-N, Vechten, V-E-C-H-T-E-N, and the name of the article is called Nigger Heaven, and this was published in 1926. 
and again, 1926, um, and basically, um, and also Quentin Tarantino, and I'll get to that. So he, it was a novel, not an article, I'm sorry. And a lot of black people or, you know, people of color were offended just by the title alone, you know, Nigger Heaven. And so um, he just selected some lines of poetry um, written by his friend, you know, County Cullen. And he just, you know, put that in his book to serve as the epigraph, right? And so... um, uh, you know, basically when he told the poet about his, you know, proposed title, um, he told him basically white with rage. And then the friendship ended, you know, right after that. So it's just, it's interesting. Um, it's talking about an anti-lynching rally in Harlem and basically one of the protesters burned a copy of the book, Nigger Heaven, and in Boston, Massachusetts, they actually banned the book. So, you know, Van Vechten knew that the title would provoke um, a reaction. So it's, it's, it happens. I mean, even now, you know, we will see different titles of articles. And before people even read the article, they start, you know, criticizing it just from the headline or even the byline. So it's interesting, you know, we call it clickbait now because you can find so much on the Internet, and that's why, you know, I encourage people to go out and, you know, read and investigate. You can find so much information. And at one point in time, you know, we didn't have access to this information. And when we would try to share it, it would be via telephone or letters when we used to write letters and everything. And so um, it's just, you know, I would encourage you guys to go out and start researching these things. There's so much information. You know, I can't cover it all, you know, on this show. However, you know, there are many, 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 you know, examples that you can find yourself. And so, you know, it's it's just interesting because, you know, Walter White, you know, who was also a writer, he basically, you know, he wrote a letter to Van Vesten, right? Or he commented, but, you know, basically, um, there were a number of people, you know, that wrote to him, and Walter White, you know, expressed both his admiration as well as his regret that he had not thought of the title first, you know, and Paul Robeson, you know, sent Van Vechten a congratulatory telegram about the book, and he said, nigger, nigger heaven amazing in its absolute understanding and deep sympathy, thanks for such a book. So, you know, again, people did not read the book, uh, they just saw the title, and you know, unfortunately, that is something that, you know, we we still fall guilty to today, you know. But, I mean, just the word nigger, the N-word, it will um, provoke different types of emotions and reactions. And so we have to take all of that into consideration. And so, you know, there are many people, um, you know, that talk about this. 
And something that I saw that I haven't had the opportunity to do yet, but it was talking about Charles S. Johnson, and he was the editor of a journal um, back then called Opportunity. And, again, it was a journal called Opportunity, and it was, you know, one of the journals of the Harlem Renaissance. So that looks interesting. So I'm just kind of giving you all an idea, you know, when I read these books, and I see things like this. It, it encourages me to go out and research other things. So if you all want to research that with me, I would appreciate it. Maybe we can have a conversation about it. But I had never heard of that particular journal. So, you know, I was very happy to read that information. So anyway, Charles Johnson commented that he wished a Negro had written it. And so Nella Larson she also made a comment. She said, why, oh, why couldn't we have done something as big as this for ourselves? So it's, it's just interesting on uh, how um, a lot of people, you know, reacted to this, especially people of note, like, you know, Nella Larson in particular. Um, and so it's just interesting, you know, James Weldon Johnson, you know, the one who wrote Lift Every Voice and Sing, the Black National Anthem here, and I think this is Raina. Is that you, Raina? Hey. Yeah, it is. Hey. Welcome. Hey. <laughs> is it like that for you today? No, I just um, <laughs> I just I wanted you to continue what you were doing. I didn't want you to get sidetracked. So. Okay. Yeah. No. 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 No worries. So James Weldon Johnson again. He wrote with every voice and sing. You know, the one time we sing it is during Black History Month, but we won't start that. I think, I don't remember, but I I remember when I was in school, there were a couple of teachers when we would have to say the pledge. Now, I'm not sure if this happened where you live, but where I live, I was raised here in Chicago. And when we went to school every morning, we would have to stand up and say the Pledge of Allegiance. And, you know, afterwards, some teachers would have us sing the Star-Spangled Banner. Other teachers would have us, you know, sing, lift every voice and sing. And so, you know, it's just interesting. Uh, and, you know, I don't really remember if we had to sing both, you know, because that just definitely would have been interesting. Um, but I remember the controversy with some of the Jehovah Witness children in the class and because they don't stand up to say the pledge nor do they right. sing the national anthems. So, you know, I actually really need to look that up about different um, ideologies or theologies, if you will, and why they don't necessarily pledge. I, you know, I, I know why the Jehovah's Witnesses don't, but there are other ones too. I believe the Seventh-day Adventists hold out on some things as well as the Mormons and the Scientology people. So anyway, going back to James Weldon Johnson, you know, basically he wrote a review of the book by Van Vechten. I'm saying the name several times so that you all can go out and research Van Vechten. And basically he declared that Van Vechten had paid color people the rare tribute of writing about them as people rather than as puppets. Now that's important, you guys. He wrote about people of color the rare tribute of writing about them as people rather than as puppets. And we still have that issue happening even today. And, you know, you have people out here making a mockery of our culture. 
And, you know, we just need to address these things. It's, it's absolutely important. And in Johnson's um, autobiography, he, you know, continued to talk about the book. And he said most of the Negroes who condemned nigger heaven did not read it. They were, <clears throat> excuse me, they were stopped or you stopped by the title. So, you know, again, you know, we still have that problem today. That's why I prefaced this example about how sometimes we get stuck at the headline or the byline. You know, we see it on Facebook every day, and we've had people come back and correct themselves, saying, oh, I should have read the piece first. And I've seen many you know, conversations and debates going back and forth, especially with Raina, um, when she would post something, or I would post something, or someone else. And people come in and comment on the title, but they never read the article. And it's maddening. Right. And, and mm-hmm. so, so we need to stop doing that. Because even in articles that we don't agree with, there are many times when there are nuggets of information in there that are useful. And I know sometimes people wonder why I post certain things. And, you know, I don't agree with everything that I post. I post it up there because I got something out of the article or the blog. And because I am not necessarily trying to, um, you know, have little, basically, I'm not trying to influence people to think the way that I do. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to influence you to have your own thoughts which is, you know, one of the reasons why when I meet certain people or, you know, I I comment on certain threads or even with, you know, the show here, basically I ask people what they think. I don't want to know what, you know, Melissa Harris Perry thinks. I can watch her and find that out. I want to know what you think. And so it's been interesting because I've had people walk up to me trying to introduce me to whatever concept or ideology they may have. And, you know, what's interesting is I see this in the religious community. And, unfortunately, I see this in the secular community as well. And, I mean, we've addressed this. You know, there are people that walk around quoting, you know, passages from the Bible, you know, and and, and using that to refute any argument that you have. And you have the same type of talking points in this community. And people will quote Dawkins, Harris, Hitchens, and all of them like, you know, they were Jesus or Peter or Paul, you know, from the Bible. So when we make these comparisons, people get upset. So same thing across the board, same thing across the board. But, yeah, I'm going to actually see if I can find that book because I want to read it. Because it sounds, you know, very interesting. Where is my notepad so I can write it down? I'm getting old, y'all. i got to write stuff down. Otherwise, I won't remember it. So it's it's, it's interesting. And, Raina, how are you today? Um, I'm all right, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay, excellent. Yeah, I had to write that down um, because, you know, I actually want to read that. If I find a copy online for free... I definitely will let you know, and I will post it. Um, Yeah, definitely I'll post it. So it's it's just interesting because, 
like I said, I'm not going to harp on the N-word too long because this is part three. I encourage you guys to go out and do some research. I encourage you guys to go out and, you know, read this book. And I think I found um, something online about this book. So I'll post some information about this a little bit later, but I want to wrap this up. And I know I mentioned Quentin Tarantino. And so basically, um, in this book, when they're talking about Quentin Tarantino, they're talking about the movie Jackie Brown. And so the leading man in that movie, you know, he was a gun runner, and he uses the N-word, you know, you know, very profusely, right? And so basically in one scene, you know, he hugs one of his minions, if you will, and, you know, and calls him my nigga. And so it's just, you know, and then he turns around and murders him in cold blood a few minutes later. So it's just interesting, and you know, we, there's been a lot of controversy with Quentin Tarantino and the N word. You know, there was, you know, an instance in True Romance, and we already know what happened with Django. And with Django, you know, the controversy, you know, was was very broad because there were some, you know, um, action figures or dolls made of the characters in Django, and when Reverend Jesse Jackson and some other civil rights leaders were out here complaining about the movie, what happened is the toy manufacturer decided to not make the you know action figures anymore, and so the prices on those action figures went up exponentially. And if anybody is interested in them, I have a set with the exception of Broomhilda. I couldn't get her... She was. They were asking fifteen hundred dollars just for Broomhilda by herself, and it was a forty dollar doll. So, um, it's, it's interesting. So yeah, you know Quentin Tarantino, but he knows that. In and you know there are many people that know when you use the N word, you say nigger, that you know is going to incite emotions. It's going to incite a reaction. So you know, guys. Um, you know, just go out and read. Go out and read. You know, there are people who took great exception to Tarantino, um, Spike Lee being one, you know. So, you know, read, read, read. Read, read, read. You know, I, you know, encourage you guys um, to look it up. Um, there were even some examples of, you know, people looking words up in a dictionary, you know, in 1997, you know, um a person, a woman decided to look up the definition of nigger, and in the 10th edition of Marion Wilson's Collegiate Dictionary, you know, it talked about, you know, a black person, usually taken to be offensive, a member of any dark-skinned race, usually taken to be offensive, a member of a socially disadvantaged class of people, and so on and so forth. So, you know... It's, it's interesting. Um, yeah. So, yeah, look it up. Look up what happened with the young woman, and her name was Delphine Abraham. Delphine Abraham. So, you know, I'm going to segue out of this, but there are so many wonderful examples, you know, in this book. You know, it's talking about Amos and Andy. Um, it's talking about, you know, <laughs> 
how that came about and the significance of that. And it's important that you all learn that because there are still some people now that, you know, refer to Amos and Andy, and there are so many different examples of that. And, and the one thing that I want to make sure I mention before I, you know, segue out is that there are white people who refer to other white people as white niggers. And there are some white people that refer to themselves as wiggers. And so, and I mean, and I'm not saying that people of color don't, you know, call white people white niggers or wiggers, but I'm just, you know, using it in this particular context right now. And so you all just go out and take a look. And, you know, in this book it talks about how the, you know, the N-word is renovated and the different ways in which it, you know, has been used and different, you know, um, examples of it. But, yeah, 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 it was interesting. Um, yeah, you know, even J-Lo has had to deal with this. Do you remember that, um, Raina? You know, she was accused of being a bigot because one of the lyrics in her song, or the lyrics in one of her songs, referred to, you know, the N-word. And, you know, it's just interesting. Um, I don't remember that. I don't remember that. You don't remember? Okay, okay. So, yeah, that happened. I don't remember that. I mean, it sounds sounds reasonable. It sounds like it probably happened, so I don't doubt it. Right. I just, I don't think I ever really paid attention to J-Lo. So. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. it It just wasn't for me. Like, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, what you say you were busy learning some neuroscience that day, right? Yeah, I was probably <laughs> listening to people who I think are more talented. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, I want to say something, but I don't want to be accused of being a misogynist. Yeah, but I don't. <laughs> so there you go. There you go. So. Guys, you know, this is just, it's, it's funny. Um, it's just so much for you guys to learn, especially when you see the people in academia fighting one another about, you know, words such as this and context. It's the funniest thing ever. If you ever want to see a real cat fight, go and look at the, you know, how these academics talk to one another. Hell, the best example most recently is, you know, Eric Dyson and Cornell West. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, you know, I've worked in academia, and I'll just say it's some of the most interesting, humorous, cutty, and vicious shit you can ever see. You know, watching all, because, I mean, if they, if they don't teach you nothing else in grad school. They teach you how to write a fucking letter and mm-hmm. write a good one to get some results. Am I wrong, Raina? No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so, you know, anyway, so go out and take a look and, <laughs> you know, read. And I remember um, a couple of years ago, several years ago, and it wasn't the first time, but um, they were talking about um, Tom Sawyer and other books written by Mark Twain. And basically, you know, with the use of the word the N-word, I remember on The View, Whoopi got so upset. You know, she was like, it's a book, it's history. That was part of the vernacular at that time. You know, leave well enough alone. And so, you know, that word has always incited 
some type of emotion because what was happening at that time was I believe they took the N-word out of the book. And so was it Thomas Sawyer or Huckleberry Finn? It was one of those. And so, because uh, I don't want to be wrong, I didn't look it up, but I remember, and I haven't read those books in so long. Maybe it's time to pick up some Mark Twain books again. Or better yet, um, Richard Wright, for those of you um, that haven't read Native Son and all of that. Those are excellent, excellent books. So anyway, I'm just going to segue out of this. And since we're on the N-word, let's talk about Tom Hanks' child, who insists mm-hmm. on using the N-word, you know, because, you know, he can. And so, you know, Justin Bieber has gotten in trouble for this. And a number of other people, we can give you many, many, many examples, you know, um, and even some people that didn't use the N-word, but their words, the context of whatever they were trying to say, you know, caused a lot of trouble. Remember when Marge Schatz got in trouble? She owned some type of athletic team. I forget which one. And she was talking about, you know, um, the black men, you know, because, again, it's an athletic team. And back then we didn't have the WNBA or, you know, all of this happening now with, you know, women now being able to participate in professionally paid sports. But it was a big old controversy about that. But anyway, getting back to Tom Hanks' son, um, friend, you want to talk about that a little bit? Because, you know, basically, you know, his son... I mean, I, know, I mean basically the only thing that I heard about it is that Tom Hanks' son fancies himself a rapper. I hear he's not very good. I haven't been interested enough to go and find his music because, frankly, I don't care. Um, But um, I heard that he was using the N-word and then went and defended his use of the N-word. And to that, all I have to say is that, you know, Tom, you got to go get your boy. Your boy is tripping. He's really tripping. Right. Exactly. So yeah, we want him to go get his son. But at the end of the day, you know, the young man is grown. And it's just really interesting because if he says that in front of the wrong person and they knock his ass out, you know, that's, that's on him. But, you know, right. I guess he's lucky that Suge Knight is kind of locked up for right now. But that's a whole different story. Hey, Suge. So, good, fun stuff. You got to love it. But, yeah, you know, you have a lot of people out here that are taking that particular liberty. And, you know, again, even in the secular community, we've had people say, well, why can't I say it? And my response, and I know Raina's response is, why would you want to say it? So you're being able to say get out of using it. Yeah. Like, what do you get out of saying it? Exactly. You know? I mean, it's it's different. It's different for for me as a black person. Like I've already said, like I I think it's different for black people to say it, and I think it's different because for one, we use it in very in very different ways. You know what I mean? Right. When we're using the, the N word, we're not using it to um to you know basically say that someone is is totally and completely beneath us. You know what I mean? Right. It's it's a mm-hmm. word that we that we've that we have claimed or, or, or reclaimed in our way and we have a right to do so because it was used right. to oppress us but 
in my opinion, exactly. white people should never say that word. And I and and that's just that's just me. Like I could not have white friends that would feel comfortable saying that around me and us still be friends. That would not be okay. You know what I mean? Right. Right. It's just, right. It's, no. Exactly. And I have an example of that. Um, when I was in the military, there was this one white woman that was in my platoon, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, there were a couple of occasions in which she used the N-word the first time. I ignored her, you know, and because I was the captain, platoon captain, blah, blah, blah. First time she used it, I ignored her. I'm like, you know, maybe I didn't hear what I thought I heard. You know how we did right. just tell us like, you know, you walk on because, you know, you don't want to be called oversensitive, if you will. So, you know, I, you know, and I looked at the other, you know, black people when she said it, and we were all kind of looking at each other, and we all just walked away, left it alone. Mm-hmm. So she said it a second time, and this time, you know, I called her to the carpet. And her excuse for saying the N-word is, I'm married to a black man and I have black children, so I can say it. And after I wrote her a damn Article 13, we never heard heard that word ever again. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. And so, you know, I guess my question to you, Raina, is when you're you're a person of color, a black person, who marries, you know, a white person of any persuasion? Because, I mean, the only people I really consider white are white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. Why are you so, asking you know, me, A, I'm not married? You got to listen to the contract, girl. Let me talk. You know, I'm trying to put it in context for the people listening. Okay. So you be getting any more damn battling bricks and bullshit emails, okay? I just, you know, so you know, this is my 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 angry minority rant. Okay, we're starting a new segment, so I may as well make this my angry minority rant. Okay, so basically. My question is, you know, when a black person marries a white person, and again, the only white people that I acknowledge as white are white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. The rest of you, you're ethnic white. You're honorary white people. But you used to be thought of and called people of color or called by your native, you know, um, ethnicity, if you will. So if you were from, you know, England, you were called English, but most of them are wasps. But if you were from Ireland, you were called Irish, Poland, Polish, so on and so forth. You were not initially considered white when you came to America. And so, you know, that kind of goes into the social construct of race and, you know, everything that's been happening, you know, in this country from the very beginning. But, I mean, but especially the past couple of months, and, you know, we're talking about the dynamics of race, you know, the N-word here. You know, so much to cover, so much to go over, so much that fucking happened. You all don't know how much I missed you. It's like I got so much to talk about, you know. So, anyway, going back to that. So, when, you know, a black person marries a white person, does that make them an honorary black person? 
Does it make the white no. person honorary person? Are they of hell no. able to use? Right, right, right. Are they able to use certain epithets? You know, can they walk around no. calling their? Yeah, you know, something. Madonna got in trouble for calling her son the N word. So I'm just sitting here, and so you know, again. In order for us to diffuse or, or to break down or destroy these particular constructs or deconstruct them, if you will, it's going to have to happen through white people. And we've been saying this. And, you know, white people, you have to get out of here. You have to march with us. And we do have some white allies out here, so I'm not discounting them at all. But it's just it's really interesting because you have people out here that want to talk about our pain or claiming to experience our pain. Kay, Kate, what's her name? Kate, no, there's Rachel, you know, and mm-hmm. I hear, and they're doing all of these things, and, and and it's just interesting. I mean, you know, I hate it on a lot of different levels, but just because you're married to a black person that does not give you the right to call us niggers, it does not give you the right to pass as black. You know, I don't care how much suntan orange lotion, you know, you know you're putting on. And, you know, with Rachel there, she even learned how to do black hair there. So, yeah, we're segueing, segueing into this Kate Dolezal bullshit that's not, going not on. Not Kate. You keep saying Kate Dolezal. It's not Kate Dolezal. It's yes, Rachel, Rachel Dolezal. Who the hell is Kate and what does she do? Why you, is she so You know what? You're uh-huh. you're thinking Kate because people keep bringing up Caitlyn Jenner and trying to compare yeah. Rachel Dolezal to Caitlyn Jenner with this transracial crap that people are trying to you know say is a thing that's not really a thing. But yeah, exactly. Um, there you go. Thank you for helping. Who the hell is Kate and why do I keep thinking about her? Oh, go ahead. So yeah, yeah no, no that's, Rachel. That's, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, you know, it's it's interesting, you know, looking at all of this and, you know, even with, you know, let's go ahead and pull Caitlyn Jenner into this. You know, I wish her the absolute best, but, you know, again, you know, with these different controversies going on here and, you know, again, those two apples and oranges, what happened with Caitlyn Jenner and what happened with Rachel Dolezal. Those are two separate entities, and you have people trying to, you know, put them together and convolute the argument, and it's just a big old no, y'all. Right, no. and basically, it's an insult to it's an insult to transgender persons, transgender persons, or trans persons, and it's a it's an insult to people of color because you know uh, there these are two separate issues. You know, race is a very uh, race and and gender are very very complicated and issues, but right. they operate in very different ways. And one of the things that um, if there's if you if you know nothing else about how how gender and race works, here's here's something to keep in mind. Rachel Dolezal, as a white person, because of where she sits on the hierarchy, she can play she can play black. Black people can't play white, not really. Right. And and there's and there's a real and there's a real um, consequence for people of color 
who try to represent themselves as black because they can be outed at any time. And in the and in a very and in the very recent past, that that included violence that they could be right. subject to. Um, in Rachel in Rachel Dolezal's case, there is no real consequence except maybe the harm that it does to her reputation. You know right. what I mean? Exactly. There's no there's see, no real significant consequence there. Exactly. You see, and that's the reason why, and I'm glad you brought that up because you know we, Raina and I, we've talked about this particular um, issue here. So I want us, you know, because some people out here. They don't understand it. But one thing I do want you all to understand and go look up, there's a difference between gender and sex. There's a difference between being transgendered and transsexual. So, you know, I'm not going to go into that. You know, I I encourage you, because we did a whole show on LGBTQIA. Go back and listen to that show or look it up or what have you. But in regards to Rachel Dolezal, so yeah, remember, um, we want to talk about exposed versus outed. And I think it's important Mm -hmm. that we expand, expound on that particular dilemma, the difference between being exposed and outed. And with Rachel Mm -hmm. Dolezal, she was not outed. She was exposed. Right. You know, so go ahead, Raina. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, there's a difference between outing and exposed. I mean, in the very in the in the very real cases of you know people um, who are LGBT who um, don't you know I identify publicly about their identity. There's a difference between them being outed and Rachel Dolezal, who was engaging in um, you know cultural appropriation and the appropriation of of um, and erasure rather of black women and displacement right. of black women in these in these various um, areas where she, you know, she, that she pursued, you know, including public office, including, you know, the academy, including her educate, you know, the pursuit of her education, um, you know, all of these things that she's done, she's erased and displaced black people, knowingly, and and knew better because she has, she's, she has a background in African American studies and is a professor of African American studies. She is very different than a person who, for reasons of safety, for reasons of employment, for reasons of, of you know, maintaining housing, must, right. you know, be, uh, must be careful in disclosing their identity to other people because there is, there, I mean, there is, I mean, here in Maryland, they just recently passed legislation to make, ensure that there are protections for people exactly. who are LGBT. You know, who identify right. as LGBT because there is still ongoing discrimination in housing, employment, and and in other areas. So you know there was no reason that um, you know Rachel Dolezal could not have done the things that she was interested in doing um, in terms of you know social justice or even teaching African American studies as a white person. There are already white people who do that, but Rachel Dolezal. You know, she, I mean, for whatever reason, she decided to skip the work that it takes to become a real ally and just decided exactly. to wear to wear a black woman's, a black woman costume so that she wouldn't have to do the, the, the real work and diligence of, of becoming a real ally. She centered herself, which is one right. thing that an ally should never do. She centered herself in the conversation. She has, um, you know, lied and misrepresented herself and displaced and erased black women in the process and that is not an ally so i i mean not not to say that like 
she may not have had good intentions, but good intentions, what is that? If you're, if you are, you know, if you are, are undoing all of that, that good, so, so called good work, right? Right. By, by erasing black people or by displacing black people or by centering yourself. And I mean, she even talked about her childhood as a young black girl. Right. This, I mean, this is the depth of her deception here. Exactly. So it goes, it goes exactly. much further than some bad Afro wigs. Exactly. You know? And I'm right there with you. And caller, I see you. Give me a minute. And you know, six six one, give me a minute here. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, you know, hey, you know, one of the things that we always talk about, you know, when we have certain discussions, is how you know, white people, some white people, always center themselves, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you know, in, in this community, it's about white male, you know, centrist in the secular community. And, you know, what she did there, you know, again, Bill Hooks read her for points. Bill Hooks said, really you know, you, yeah, she did. And, you know, going back to what Raina said, I'm going to tie it in with Bill Hooks, in which they said, you know, why would she want to do the work? Why would she try to develop the language? Why would she try to do the hard work to, you know, be, you know, super ally, if you will, when she could fast track it to the front of the line being a black woman? And so mm-hmm. it's, it's just crazy. And she knew. Because, and, 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 let's talk, and let's also talk about that, right? Because as mm-hmm. an African-American studies uh, professor and as, and as a white person, just as a person familiarized with the, um, you know, you don't have to really be super, you know, um, familiar with African-American studies to know that proximity to whiteness is, 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 um, gives you greater access to power. Right. The more the more the more comfortable white people uh, are with you, the more that they see themselves in you. You know, the straighter right. the hair, the um, the more um, sort of academic in tone you know, your uh, your tone is, or the more um, the closer your dialect is to uh, whatever is in vogue, because that can change. You know what I mean? Um, right. You know, the Queen's English, right? So, you know, the closer you speak to that sort of a dialect, you know, um, the better neighborhood you live in, the better car, the better clothes, um, you know, all of these sorts of things um, can put you in greater proximity to whiteness. So Rachel, those all knew by virtue of the fact that she can't come into this space as a dark-skinned black woman, right? And she's coming exactly. in as a light-skinned, uh, she's coming in in um, a black, in, in black face, but in a light-skinned black face. And as a light, and, as, and, and, and wearing that light-skinned black face puts her at, at a, um, at closer to, in terms of power than um, other black women who maybe have the same backgrounds, right? Um, but, right. you know, she knew what she was doing. She knew that that, that, that representing herself the way that she did would um, not only fast track her in terms of um, our, our, you know, black communities, ongoing issues that we struggle with in terms of cult- um, colorism, but that it also would make her more acceptable within white academic spaces. 
as well. Exactly. And she was, and she and she was absolutely right. So she knew exactly what she was doing. This was this was yeah, completely calculated. She knew at every uh, level. I bet you exactly. I bet you Franz Fanon is over there doing the damn holy stuff in his grave. You know he's over there laughing. Yeah, because he wrote black faces, white masks, because she totally did. Exactly. exactly. Oh, you know, he over there doing it too, y'all. So, you know, it's just the whole thing is interesting. So I'm going to make this comment that we're going to pull the collar at, okay? So, mm-hmm. you know, as yeah. Raina was saying, you know, Rachel knew exactly what the hell she was doing. And, and, and she's educated in black studies and African studies, and she understands the significance of what and she did. And went to a black college. And went to a right. black college. She went to college, so y'all. She knows all of this. She knows exactly. all of this. There's an article out there you all can go and look up, and it, it said Rachel Dolezal was white when she went to Howard. I haven't had a chance to read the whole thing, but just the title itself made me holler, child. I was like, ooh. So anyway, so getting back to, you know, what I'm saying, that I'm going to pull this call in. Um, basically, you know, we're talking about appropriation on a whole new level. I know there are people out here that get upset with Tim Wise and other white anti-racist <laughs> No, she out Iggy. Iggy Azalea. <laughs> mm-hmm. She out Iggy. She out Iggy her. Yeah, she out Iggy her. <laughs> okay, exactly. <laughs> and so what this woman did, she took appropriate. I mean, you know what? Right now, Tim Wise looking like Soul Brother Number Three compared to her, right? And what? you know, because <laughs> Tim Wise I mean, looking like Cornell Weston out here. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I'm sitting back and I'm laughing, right? So, you know, what happened here is that she went out here and, you know, she, you know, what, what, what is the word called? You know, it was performative blackness, performative blackness, mm-hmm. okay? It was right. a performative art. And this woman is going to get paid out the wazoo. She's going to have a lifetime movie. She's going to have a book deal. She's going to go on tour. Her, her kids, you, I don't know, those are her little brothers. I don't know, was she representing those black kids as her kids or her, her siblings? Yeah, she, um, her, her adopted brother she's been representing as her biological child. That's what I thought. Okay. You know, because I thought mm-hmm. I read that, but, you know, you know, sometimes you know how I get. I get to conflating all of these stories, but that bullshit right there she pulled, child, you know, if it had been one of us, we would be strung up somewhere. And that's the honest to goodness mm-hmm. truth. Let's pull. Oh, I have so much to talk about on that. Well, let's pull the caller in. I've been promising. May I ask who's calling? Mm-hmm. 661. This is Red Ninja. Hey, Red hey, Ninja. Ninja. Haven't heard from you in a while. Missed you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm flattered by that. Thank you. There you go. There you go. I miss well, you. We're happy to I miss you. I miss you. Yeah, you know, we got to talk about this stuff. There's been so much happening. Trust me, I was doing everything I could not to write dissertations on my wall about this. That's why we brought it back. So, you know, what's your take on this, Red? Well, um, I think there's an, an element of black comedy in the whole um, yeah. Rachel situation, right? In the sense that, on the one hand, it is very deeply disturbing to see somebody actively go out of their way to deceive people, right, and to essentially Uh troll the black community and to troll the NAACP in particular 
exactly. who you would think would be doing background Well, I don't think they're actually trolling the NAACP. And the only reason what? I say that is because the NAACP has had white leadership in the past. And so well, right. I, I'm not really so much bothered by her being being a white woman leading the NAACP. I think I'm more concerned about how she's been out here doing seminars on the history and importance of black women's hair. You don't have black women's hair. Well, you have no. never seen a hot comb. You have never felt the the burn of the burn of relaxer on your scalp. <laughs> Well, and I'm, and here's the thing: like, I'm not disturbed. I'm not disturbed by her being a white woman, you know, in leadership at the NAACP because black, you know, white women and white men have been in, or I think have been in leadership before at the NAACP. What I'm more concerned oh, yeah. about was that was her deception and masquerading as a black woman, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Without the NAACP doing extensive background checks on her history. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, exactly. You know, or like I mean, some if, people on Twitter were saying, how in 37 years was she pretending in her, in, in most of her 37 years, has she been pretending to be black, but nobody tried her potato salad? <laughs> or greens, child, or her greens. You know, you put smoked turkey or do you put, you know, ham hops up in there? <laughs> 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 oh, so you know, it's, it's it's the whole thing, and so I mean, I feel you. You know where you're coming from with the troll thing, because it's like you know, <laughs> like I told Raina yesterday, we talked about this. We were on the phone dying, and I was like, you know what? I can see some you know racist groups you know inviting her to speak because you know they think this, this is the most hilarious shit ever to them. And it's right. just the whole thing is like she just made a mockery of our culture. And you have people out here, you know, defending her, saying, well, we should be honored that, you know, she's, you know, trying to be black or passing for black. And, you know, I've seen people out here, you know, you know what? If someone said this, and Tressie, Tressie, PhD, she went the hell off about this yesterday. There are people out here coining new terms. Here we go. Here's the new term that pissed Tressie off. Cis black. What the hell yes. is cis black? Oh my gosh. Child. Black and transracial. Where the fuck did that come from? Cis black and transracial. Yes. I'll explain that to me. Ain't nothing, ain't, ain't no such it thing. It came out of their ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is no such thing. <laughs> I sat there, you know, and I'm just looking that up, and I was like, oh, my goodness. So, you know, I'm getting ready to make an alert for cis black because I got to see this shit with my own eyes, right? And mm-hmm. and it's interesting because we're, you know, our blog should be coming up in the next, you know, week or two. And, man, I already have ideas for about five stories, so, you know, or five blogs. So it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. But cis black, cis black. Mm-hmm. Like, we can change our black to white. I mean, if, you know, hell. I mean, you think I can get away with saying that I'm Chris, Chris Hitchens reincarnated? Think I can get away with that? Uh, I think they might lock your ass up. I'm just saying. Okay. Just, <laughs> I think they're liable to lock you up. I mean, they were trying yeah. to lock a black woman up because she was saying she was a businesswoman. <laughs> oh, I remember that. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> 
No, but again, going back to this particular issue, well, hold on, we're going to make this point, and you can go ahead, Red. You know, basically, Mm -hmm. coming back to this particular issue, again, you know, again, they took the focus off of black culture, and again, they made it white-centered, and when they tried to convolute and compare um, this transracial Kate, I'm sorry, um, Rachel Dolezal, to transgendered Caitlyn Jenner. And so basically it centered it on whiteness yet again, taking it away from, you know, the fact that this woman has, you know, offended many people of color and our ancestors. Because my question is, you know, at the end of the day, you know, what has she really done for the community? You know, she's done some good. That's absolutely wonderful. But see, now all of that is outshadowed by her lies and deceit. Go ahead, Rick. I'm, and I'm glad you mentioned that because um, I was just getting ready to bring, and you may have hit on this point before, but I was just getting ready to bring up um, these comparisons between Richard Dolezal and, you know, Caitlyn Jenner. And the the thing I want to actually the thing I want to actually say about that is that there's a clear difference. In Caitlyn Jenner's case, she has completely changed her biology, whereas Rachel has not. Rachel put makeup right. on. Rachel got her hair fixed a little bit, but she has not changed her genetic makeup. And what she has done, and what Rachel has done, is reversible, whereas. Caitlin's transition well, into woman is not technically. Technically, some of that is reversible, but the point is, but the fact of the matter is, is that there's these are these are the way that race and gender work are in two separate planes. You know what I mean? There is a in in race the the explicit way that race is set up is so that it is to preserve white supremacy. There is no. Um, there is no way for blacks to ascend that ladder by claiming that they're white. There's no way that we as black people can escape state violence or discrimination of any kind by claiming that we're transracial. We can't because the way that the system is set up is that white, uh, white people, well, not just white people, but white but institutions are constantly on the lookout for non-white traits. For uh-huh. reasons to discriminate against you, so there is no way for me, as a black person, even as a you know not um, a, a lighter skinned black person, for me to ascend that ladder. But white people, it is it, really just about appropriation because white people can right. uh, claim you know lay claim to all of these things um, that represent our culture, and they can they can. Um, still claim white privilege at any time. And she's still doing that. She's still, she's, she's never stopped doing that. I argue, you know what I mean? She's never right. stopped doing that. She's where has the, Rachel Dolezal been amplifying the, um, the works of other black women? You know what I mean? Where has she there been you- um, uplifting other black people? And you can say that she has, but how has she been doing? How is, how is that? Um, consistent with the fact that she's been displacing and erasing black women who could have occupied that space that she's been taking up, the space that, she, that she's been occupying as a black 
you know, public official, as a black academician, as a black NAACP representative. You know what I mean? Right. How did right. she, and how I want to she talk done about that? that? Oh, yeah. And I definitely want to talk about that erasure, and I'm going to get to that. But what I find interesting is the NAACP, you know, they defended her, which, of course, is their right, and I can see why, because they don't necessarily want to end up looking foolish in this, but it's too late for that, because had that been any one of us, and it was found out that we were passing, because when you fill out those papers, especially you know, for anything, you know, in, on most applications or on most medical forms or what have you, because she was also an ombudsman for the city, she checked off African-American. Now, if we were to do that, go somewhere and check off white or anything other than African-American, you know what? It would be a security guard walking us to the door as we start our new vacation because that's what black people call being fired. We're going on vacation for a while, right? So, you know, that's to help out, you know, to ask Rachel, you know, hashtag. But, um, you know, with the erasure of black women, you know, in black culture, period, that is a problem that we've been seeing and we've been attempting to address across the board because they have effectively been factoring us out of history. And, you know, it's interesting because I, I remember when we were talking about, you know, 20 years from now, they're going to have Malcolm X and Martin Luther King either as biracial or white. So we have to be, you know, you know, hey, you know, but we have to be diligent and we have to keep watch and not allow them to do that. Because the reason why what Rachel did was so offensive is because, number one, you have people like Rachel and Tim Wise and other people out here who are white anti-racist activists don't have a problem with that in and of itself. However, they're still appropriating the language. They're still appropriating the, 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 you know, the pain and the struggles that we, as black women and men, have gone through, and they profit from it. And there have been many, you know, women of color who are, you know, have passed on and they go and read their information and then they offer it as though this is some new discovery or something new to them. And, again, they profit from it. You know, and this is one of the reasons why you have women of color out here, you know, that are feminists, womanists, um, you know, anti-racist activists, you know, so on and so forth. And they get upset with Tim Wise because Tim Wise comes to and, and And let's just be real here. White people tune a lot of black people out, just tune us out automatically. But if another white person says it, then they'll believe it. And this is where Rachel has missed the mark. Has she come out as an anti-racist white woman? And, again, did the hard work, you know, about formulating the language she would have been much, much more effective. And after all of this, you know, I don't know. I mean, I know I won't be able to take her seriously, you know. So um, it's just interesting because she missed, you know, an opportunity to be a real ally, an effective ally, you know, not only for black people but, you know, the white community as well because, you know, she understands this information but she doesn't understand it because if she truly, truly understood it, she wouldn't have pulled that damn, you know, stunt. 
you know, and it's just, it's horrible. And, I mean, she understood what she did. I'm not taking that away. Don't need any notes. She What she did was wrong. She knew exactly what she was doing because she studied our history. But, you know, it makes me wonder, you know, if she understands the opportunity that was missed. And does she understand why we are offended? Does she even give a damn? I guess that's the question. So, you know, and, you, um, and I and I hope she does. Right. Yeah, I hope she does too. You know, so it's it's interesting um, how this has reversed, and you know, it's like you know what I haven't even gone out to see what you know Jesse Jackson or Al Sharpton have to say about this. You know, um, with Al Sharpton, they've been too busy giving him a position in New York City to oversee something or the other. De Blasio, but um, with this Caitlyn, you know, Jenner, um, you know, transgender, you know, how can I put it? You know, she came out as transgender and she's being heralded as, you know, a hero. And, you know, it's just, it's, you know, when I read, did you read the article that Laverne Cox wrote regarding to this? No. You know, ain't I a woman? And so, you know, again, it's just it's interesting because they're making, they're, they're attempting to make Caitlyn Jenner the face of transgenderism while, you know, continuing to, you know, ignore to a certain degree, you know, people like Janet Mock, Laverne Cox, and many, many more. But, you know, what's interesting is I've seen some of the arguments from white feminists in regard to Caitlyn Jenner. And they were talking about trans femme and, you know, the argument around that. I've seen a lot of that, especially in the secular community. And, you know, I'm going to have to go out and read more about this controversy. But, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because they're making her the face just like, um, what's her name? What's her name? Oh, I forget her name. The woman that, um, the heavyset white woman who's now the face of, um, you know, body um, positivity or what have you, as opposed to Gabourey Sidibe. You know, so oh, you're talking about Gab- uh, Melissa McCarthy. Yes, Melissa McCarthy. Thank you very. Because I kept wanting to say Marley Matlin. I was like, no, that's not her. So. Um, no, 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 no. <laughs> Different movement. Okay, no, that's why. <laughs> yeah, that's why. This, you know how sometimes you know that that's not the person. But, you know, it's like, why? Yeah. This is the image. So, yeah. So um, that's why I didn't say it until after you told me. So, yeah, so it's, it's interesting, you know, um, how blackness is still anti-blackness in this country. And yeah. we bring it up and, you know, they get angry, just like with that pool party in McKinney, Texas. You know, I want to touch a little bit on, you know, some black issues today. Well, they're all black issues, but, you know, particularly that pool party. And I posted an article about how blacks still aren't necessarily welcomed in suburbia. And all of that ties into a show that, you know, we talked about with urban planning and redlining and all of that. You all really need to go and look up the history of FHA and HUD and redlining and people of color. But anyway, going back to McKinney, you know, how all of that took place and the white woman who 
slapped a 19-year-old. I want to understand why she felt like she had the authority and the power to physically put her hands on a black child. And, you know, she told them to go back to their Section 8. And, you know, she was a loan officer, you know, contracting through Bank of America. And she was contracting with Bank of America through another consulting firm. And, you know, the interesting thing about all of that is initially, you know, I had scores of people, you know, out here talking about how the black children were causing problems and how they crashed a pool party. And, you know, one person tweeted at me and I responded and I said, well, those children, some of them lived there and they had the right to be there. They had the pool passes. But at the end of the day, you know, you had a white man out there acting like a damn bounty hunter, you know, you know, um, grabbing black children for the police officer who came in there like gangbusters. And this is what our children have to deal with on a daily basis. And so, you know, I'm going to make this next statement and, you know, I'm not taking it back. I don't care how controversial some people may see it. But, you know, just looking at that example here, and looking at the militarization of the police and what we're seeing in these inner cities, you know, and I still support the protesters, you know, I want to make sure that's well understood, you know, and I'm looking at it and I've been doing a lot of research and sometimes when I read about this stuff, I just get a massive headache, you know, because there are people out here that aren't looking at it. And if you pay attention to the way they have set up most cities, and we talked about this on the show and you know, how the white suburbs that we have, the white suburbs basically, you know, um, circle the black community, you know, circle the inner city, the enclaves, suburban enclaves. And that was done on purpose. And that was done through, you know, loans from the federal government, especially with, you know, military men, you know, being able to get excellent loans, you know, the VA loans to get a home. And that was done on purpose. And they started concentrating people of color, namely black people, into the inner cities. And, you know, looking at what's happening now and reading about this so-called black problem or the Negro problem, again, it's history, you guys read up on it. And I just want people to pay attention, especially nowadays and especially what we saw in Ferguson. I personally feel as though, you know, uh, there are some white people in power who have just pretty much, they, they never had any faith in, if you will, for lack of better words, or belief, again, lack of better words, in, in black people. And they do consider us a problem. But, you know, again, in the inner cities, you know, you have white landowners that own tons of real estate, and they were not making it easy for people of color to get loans. So they had no choice but to rent out the properties owned by these rich landowners, and most of that is inner city prop, you know, property. Look at what just happened with Ferguson. It's not the first time. I mean, you can go back and look at history and look at Black Wall Street and, you know, a number of other examples, but, you know, I now see, you know, the projects in the inner cities as, you know, reservations because I was reading this article, and it was talking about how, you know, there are some white people out here that are ready to totally give up on the black community and they basically want to do to the black community what they've done to the Native American community. And the reason why I see, you know, certain enclaves, 
certain cities as reservations is because in many cases they don't really give you a choice, a real choice as to where to live. Now, you know, and I want you guys to pay attention to this because especially like in cities like Chicago here, they had built a lot of the projects here, you know, right there by the lake. Very, very valuable property. And for those that aren't familiar, you know, they've they've taken down a lot of those projects. They've just tore them down. And the people that were living in, you know, those housing apartments there, they were given Section 8 vouchers. And they were pushed out to the suburbs for the most part. Some stayed in the city proper, but most were pushed out to the suburbs. And then all of a sudden, we started having problems with public transportation and the funding of it. And we started having problems with jobs moving out of this country. You all thank, you all thank Bill Clinton for that with NAFTA. And I'm glad they shot down TPP. So anyway, um, you know, they took all that property back. And now they're rebuilding. And some of the projects they kept, they just went in and, you know, modernized it, knocked out some walls. Instead of there being concrete blocks as your walls, they're putting up plaster, you know, things of that nature. But in, at the same time, they're moving black people out. And the black people that live in an area that, you know, may own their own real estate, they're being property taxed out of their property and being forced to move. You're seeing a lot of that in D.C. You're seeing a lot of that in New York and Chicago and, you know, a lot of major cities. Hell, the, the best example is San Francisco. White people can't afford San Francisco anymore. You have to be some right. type of dot-com, you know, gazillionaire. And so, you know, I want you guys to go out and look this up. And I know some people are out there saying she's reaching. She's throwing spaghetti at the wall. No, go out, look up black people, African-Americans, and inner city reservations, you know, inner city and reservations, you'll be amazed at what you can find. But, you know, that is why we have to address these things, and there are a lot of things that we need to talk about. But at the end of the day, we're still the low man on the totem pole. And, you know, it's important. You know, what you see these young people out here marching for, it's important. And, you know, I just find it interesting that you have a lot of people, especially in Baltimore, that bullshit they pulled most recently um, with Iyala Van Zant and um, Jamal Bryant out there and praying for the city. Well, weren't you praying for the city before all of that happened? And what happened to those prayers? Did they fall on deaf ears? And so it's just interesting because, you know, when Iyana was there and she was talking to the young people, talking to the protesters, she was scolding and chastising them. Absolutely. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm just floored. I am floored. And, I mean, just the response that we got. And you know what's so funny about about these people who scold the protesters? Mm -hmm. Like, they're like, they're like, well, we hear you. We hear you that there are problems. Well, you didn't hear me before we started burning shit down. You know what exactly. I mean? So, exactly. <laughs> so now that you're here, why don't you stop scolding me and help me fix it? You know what I mean? Exactly. And, and, and you know something else? Like I made a Facebook post about this, too, about that exact same behavior. And the way I look at it is like, you know, at the end of the day, we want to be nonviolent. At the end of the day, we want to be peaceful. But when you're being shot down like dogs, 
when you're being constantly beaten and undermined, there's a time to be peaceful and there's a time to stand up and say, this, I've had enough. And and the thing is, not just black history, but American history in particular has benefited from having that balance of nonviolent and violent protest. Nobody, none of these celebrities would dare tell the deacons of defense to put their guns away. They wouldn't talk down to the Black Panther Party, and they wouldn't talk down to the Nation of Islam for defending their neighborhoods because talking didn't fucking work. Exactly. Exactly. Talking didn't work, and, you know, and, and what's interesting about that is when Martin Luther King Jr., you know, he started recognizing and accepting that, you know, toward the end before he was assassinated. And, you know, the whole thing is interesting because, you know, you know, I need to reread his book, Where Do We Go From Here? And, you know, he expounded on that and he talked about it, you know. And, yes, you know, talking is not going to make changes. You know, we're going to have to force change. And, you know, I, I will admit, you know, and I've said this on a number of occasions, that we missed a possible opportunity with Barack Obama. You know, we didn't have a platform or an agenda, and, you know, and he was able to walk away, basically, you know, not necessarily doing anything of real measure for the black community. And, you know, but, you know, see, I'm choosing my words wisely because we don't have anyone out here to lobby for us, if you will. You know, we don't have any political action committees that can go in and vie for us. And, you know, and I started talking about that at the beginning of the show. But, you know, that's why I'm loving what I'm seeing with these young people. I am loving it. They're bringing, they're putting together platforms. They're putting together demands. And see, and that's the thing that people need to understand is that when you come to the table and you come to the table with, you know, the powers that be, you have to know exactly what the hell you want. Okay, you can't be up there hemming and hawing and, okay, we like a side of this and this. No, you need to come there. You need to make your demands and make sure that they are met. And that's one of the reasons why you hear us talking a lot about voting, because I posted an article, you know, this week in which it was talking about black voters being, you know, um, disillusioned with the voting process and, you know, asking why they should vote for Hillary Clinton. And the number one thing that we need to learn as people of color across the board, and, you know, white people too, because, you know, it works both ways, it's not a popularity contest. When you elect these people, it is not supposed to be a popularity contest. This is not like we're voting for the king and queen of the prom. That's not how this is supposed to work. And so, you know, we need to understand these things. We need to hold these politicians accountable. If they promise A, B, C, D, and E, then they should come. They they should be held accountable for not bringing us A, B, C, D, and E. And one of the issues that I have, especially with the federal government, and a lot of people don't know this, all you have to do is be elected once, and you get your salary, your pension for the rest of your life. So, you know, there are things like that that need to be looked into. You know, in Illinois here, there's, you know, you know, Illinois, basically, I think this state is pretty much insolvent. So 
especially the city, because the tips are going to be coming through next year. It's going to be due next year. And, you know, they're cutting people's pensions, and it's just it's absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, these are things that have to be addressed. We don't have the time to, you know, address all of that today, and that may be, you know, a future conversation. But, um, you know, all of this, we need to talk about it, and especially for those, and I see you, caller, I'm going to get to you, uh, you know, addressing some of the issues. But the main thing, the main point that I wanted to make is that when we elect these people, it's not supposed to be a popularity contest, and we are supposed to hold them accountable. And if they don't do what they promised that they were going to do, vote their asses out. Because, unfortunately, we've become accustomed to these politicians not coming through with what they promised. And, oh, we'll give him another chance. No, forget that. We must stop that. This is why we're not making progress. And this is why they feel as though they can do whatever they want with no accountability, no responsibility whatsoever. So let's pull our caller in. We have a caller from 561. May we ask who's calling? Yeah, hi. This is uh, Mr. Marchetti, D. Marchetti. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hi. I just wanted to... Um, hi, how are you? Good morning. Uh, good afternoon. I uh, I wanted to know what your um, your thoughts were on the whole McKinney police situation. Oh, wow. Look, 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 look. Hogan, what situation? The, Mc- the McKinney police situation? Camp Cree? No, McKinney. the McKinney, McKinney police situation. Oh, the McKinney. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, my thoughts on the McKinney situation was basically, you know, again, unfortunately in this country, you know, when a black child is born, it's seen as an adult from the day that it's born. And, and you know, they're not allowed to be children. And, you know, in the case with McKinney, You know, again, you had people out there, you know, um, coming in and presupposing and, you know, and and basically taking it upon themselves to to say that the black children were causing problems. And, you know, not looking at the situation fully, the police officer coming in there like gangbusters. There were other police officers there before he even arrived, and they were talking to the young people, and everything was calm until he came into the situation, and he acted a fool. And the, the, the white women, you know, that were involved in this, especially the one that slapped the 19-year-old, you know, they were the ones who incited, you know, the, the, you know, the, the violence out there. So as far as that's concerned, uh, what happened in McKinney, I think it was a shame. That never should have happened, but it's just another example of, you know, black people being told that, you know, we can't be in spaces that are basically deemed, you know, uh, or basically there for white people. And there's a long history in this country about black people and swimming pools, you know, and about, you know, uh, people that own the hotels, you know, pouring acid in the water to scare the kids you know, and get them out of the pool, because the acid that he was pouring in the water is already part of the chlorine, part of the pool treatment. So it wouldn't have hurt the children, but they didn't know that. But it's a long history of, you know, those types of situations. But it's just that now that we have the technology and the Internet, now we're able to share those stories and we're able to affect change, because that's one thing that I give black Twitter 
a lot of credit for. You know, we are holding people accountable. And I'm glad that we're not able to sweep this type of thing under the rug. But in that case, they were wrong. Um, That police officer, he resigned like he should have because he has been trained to deal with situations like that. He said he had a couple of suicide calls before, and he was just traumatized. And I called bullshit on that. I called bullshit. And, you know, just the whole situation. Well, you know what I would have done if I was a police officer? Hello? Hello? Yeah, you're you're on. Go ahead. Oh, so there. Well, if I was that police officer, I would have just whipped out my penis and crossed all those kids right in their fucking asses and just had sex with them nonstop and kept fucking them and having sex. (laughs) All righty. Got a little troll. You know what? We must be on 4chan. I bet you there's something on 4chan about us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all that, okay. But, I mean, again, you know, like I said, you know, the reason why I don't, the reason why I don't get upset when we get troll calls like that is because it gives us the opportunity to see what some of these people think. And, you know, you know, we see it all on Facebook. And what's interesting is, you know, even in the secular community, when, you know, there are issues surrounding class, well, not necessarily class, but race in particular, race mm-hmm. and sex, how we get crickets. Because, you know, um, there was an article that was published in The Humanist, and it, it addressed the McKinney situation. And, you know, in all actuality, you know, I was reading the comments, and these comments were from atheists, skeptics, and humanists. And, you know, with the young man just sent there, the comments were basically along the same line. And we see it all of the time. And this is why sometimes I look at this community and I laugh, and this so-called movement is a joke because they won't even address these particular issues here and 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 you know my my issue with that is even if you don't necessarily address the issues why are you not scolding the people that are in your membership from saying these types of things nothing is going to be said about it they're not going to be held accountable none of that and then you know and then they're trying to recruit people from you know communities of color namely black people, and that's the reason why, you know, I give the argument that the only thing that they're interested in are membership dollars and numbers. And, you know, I compare that with megachurches, and they're only interested in having more people in their congregation and more money because it's the good old boy network. You know, now, you know, it was a point in time when, you know, these pastors were, you know, trying to say, my church is bigger than yours, I drive a better car, you know, then it went to I own them all, I own my own credit union or bank, and now $65 million checks, you know, and and having all these satellite Sure. Exactly. But you know, even with like, you know with like, so many of these like so many of these like mainstream like secular and atheist organizations, they I mean, frankly, I mean Freckle of Dollar deserves to be disowned, frankly, for that sixty five million dollar jet business. But uh-huh. I'm not seeing much of a difference between that and you know, Richard Dawkins commanding hundred thousand million dollar salaries 
or coming to these conferences and saying the same thing that I can watch on the internet or reading one of his books that I rented from the library. Exactly. Exactly. And and that's the point. Because, you know, again, it's the good old boy network, you know, uh, <laughs> and, and it's just happening even in this community. And that's why you know, I wanted to talk about that article. So a good segue here. And it was an article talking about the humanist community and how it helps to foster economic injustice. And what's so interesting is, is that there was a humanist conference, you know, um, not too long ago. And, you know, they incorporated the message of Black Lives Matter and, you know, talking about communities of color and economically disadvantaged and educational disadvantaged communities. Yet, they were charging $120 per person for entry into this conference. The people that you're talking about can't afford to come. How does this work? And so, you know, I'm just looking at all of that, and I mean, just, you know, across the board. You know, what's interesting is you have these large atheist white organizations out here that have outpriced anybody or most you know, most minorities from coming. And what's interesting is, is that, you know, let me tell you all the secret here. A lot of the people of color that you see running around, you know, a lot of those white conferences, you know, basically they get their admission for free. You know, their registration is free because, you know, they in many cases will will ask that person of color or that token of color to come up and say a few words. And going back to what we were saying earlier about them choosing, you know, certain, you know, people of color, they choose them because these people are non-challenging, non-threatening. And in other cases, some of these people are willing to take some of their bullshit to make money and to heighten their profile. So, you know, we need to look at all of this and we need to take these things into consideration and actually look at the big picture. We need to follow the money. Follow the money. That's what we tell you when it comes down to politics of any nature because this is a political game. You know, whether you all realize it or not, even with the atheist, you know, community, this is a political game. And what's interesting is, you know, one particular organization, and I'll go ahead and say the name, American Atheists, they are now changing their format. They're becoming a lobbyist organization. Now, you know, I know we've talked about this before, and I kept telling you guys to pay attention because we saw the direction that they were going in. It was very obvious, especially with the people that they had hired on who had those, you know, deep connections and are tethered to the American political system. You know, what do they call it? You know, the political industrial complex, if you will. And so... So them, you know, announcing that they were becoming a lobbyist organization didn't surprise me. They had already set the plans in motion. And we were here, and we told you all last year as well as this year, um, basically what they were getting ready to do, especially with their CPAC attendance. And, again, you know, going back to for those of you that aren't familiar with CPAC, C-P-A-C, look that up. And many members of that particular organization you know, or that conference that participated in that, they're tea partiers, you know, they're openly racist, openly sexist, openly misogynistic, 
openly homophobic, you know, across the board. And, you know, what confuses and perplexes me or, you know, uh, is that aren't those the things that we're supposed to be against in the secular community? I thought we were anti-racist, anti-sexist, anti-homophobic. And yet those people are actively being recruited and, and you know, you know, courted for their money. And now that they've turned into, a, you know, a lobbying organization, they will be able to do that, you know, more openly. And so it's just interesting because I just want people to pay attention. You know, none of us on this phone are preaching or anything, but we're tapped into the, the community. And we read what a lot of these people have to say because, you know, it's important that you guys pay attention to what these folks are out here saying. So anyway, you know, going back to what I was saying about, you know, fostering economic injustice, you know, what's interesting to me is that you have a lot of these humanist, secular organizations out here that, you know, claim to care about economic and educationally disadvantaged people. That's all people. And yet I have yet to really see any of them do anything to help, you know, poor and working class people. Because they outpriced them, so they can't come to the conferences. And right. and where's the money going? What's happening to the money? Again, follow the money. What are they doing besides making pretty little laminated, you know, you know, folders and magazines to give away? What are they doing besides putting up offensive, you know, billboards? What are they doing besides traveling all over the country from conference to conference and conference and calling themselves professional humanists and atheists? Where is the money going? I have yet to see anybody, you know, send money to, you know, help, you know, children who are going to science programs hungry. You know, I have yet to see them give money to, you know, adults that are functionally illiterate and that want to learn how to read. I have yet to see them give money to people even in this community who have fallen on hard times. I remember I remember saying this a few years ago. There were a lot of people in the community talking about they lost their job or their homes were foreclosed on and, and they were in very, you know, desperate situations. I don't remember seeing any one of these organizations standing up to help them. So if they're not helping the people in their own community, they surely tell don't give a damn about anybody outside of the community. So my question to you is, why are you donating? Why are you giving money? And it's okay. It's your money to do it as you please, but you should hold them accountable as well. What are you doing with the money? Besides sending everybody letters asking for more donations. You're cutting your staff, so you're laying people off. You're trying to get everybody to volunteer. A lot of the work that's being done is being done for free. And what's interesting yeah. is, and here's another angry minority right here. You know, you have some people out here that do not truly understand the value of the people that work with and for them. You know, they want you to do all the work so they can take all the credit, and then they want to, you know, push you to the background, but they still want you to go and do all the work for free, but they want you to shuck and jive, genuflect, kiss their ass, and smile and act like you're happy for being their slave. And it's bullshit. 
I agree. No, I agree. And uh, coming back to the whole money issue, I mean, you don't even have to go as far as American atheists. There was a huge issue about the group We Are Atheism and their co-founders taking PayPal donations and completely misusing them and essentially not even getting their books right in terms of the donations. They were saying that they were actually going to donate to natural disaster funds, you know, when the tornadoes hit Oklahoma and things of that nature, but right. none of the money was going where it was supposed to go, and it got to the point where a lot of the staff on We Are Atheism just walked out and left because they were claiming that the, one of the presidents of the company was actually claiming that she, quote-unquote, did not know exactly how PayPal donations worked, that there were some mistakes on her end, but that she was going to fix them and, until they weren't. So right. it makes you wonder who can you trust? Who can exactly. who, who whose reputation is good enough that you should be donating to anything but your own life? You know, why are exactly. we giving to any organization at all? Why are exactly. we just doing this ourselves? Oh yeah, and it's not an isolated incident what you're talking about. Because over at SCA, you know, there was, you know, an issue about misappropriation of funds. And how for people, you know, taking money or, or basically getting plastic surgery done off of the organization's dough and, you know, a number of different issues about money and, you know, um, these meetings or quote-unquote meetings being held in exotic places. So basically, you know, a little vacation for the conference. And, you know, Edwina Rogers is suing SCA, um, and I posted that on my wall, you know, there are a number of lawsuits happening in, in, in this community. It's not just one. There are many of them happening. But, um, you know, again, basically, you know, um, what's happening there is it's happening across the board. I mean, there's an organization in Florida that's also going through a lawsuit because of misappropriation of funds. So, you know, it's happening across the board, you know, people taking money that were meant to be donations and using it for their own personal gain. And there are people out here that have 501c3s and using it all for their own personal gain. And so it's interesting because, you know, we definitely need to address these particular issues, but it needs to be brought out front and, you know, talked about because, you know, a lot of people aren't aware of the history of this community, but, you know, even more sadly, there are a lot of people who aren't aware of what's happening now. So there are a number of lawsuits happening in this community, but, you know, the ones that are really of note to me anyway are the ones because people are using these organizations and the donations as their own personal piggy banks. And, again, we're not telling people what to do with their money because, you know, even when I was attending church, if you will, as an adult, I was trying. I really was trying. And, you know, I had a problem with the offerings and tithes, you know, especially after reading a little bit more. And I'm like, that shit don't make sense. And so what I would do is I would go and buy groceries from, 
you know, different places, you know, it would be easy food, like, you know, sometimes, you know, those little pop-top Vienna sausages and, you know, other little things, you know, put some fresh fruit in there, you know, some, you know, fruit cocktail cups or what have you. And and I would buy toiletries and I would buy, you know, um, towels, you know, and, and put them in the bags. And I would drive around, and when I would, you know, I would take, like, a couple of bags with me. And when I saw, you know, people, you know, um, asking for money on the side of the road, I would stop, tell them to come here, jump out my car, get the bag, and give it to them. I remember one Sunday when I did that, and people were on their way to church, and I just stopped in the middle of the street, and I honked at the person to come there, and there were a few cars behind me. And then I got out the car and gave them that bag and gave them a hug, and at first I thought people were going to be honking or whatever, but no, they just sat there. And I hope, I can only hope, truly hope, that that inspired them to do the same thing. And so, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, I mean, that's I, probably I, why they didn't honk, because they probably were looking. They were like, oh, that's sweet. Like, why didn't yeah. we think of that, you know? <laughs> exactly. And then wasn't afraid to touch them. I'm like, here, here's a bag. Here, give me a hug. You take care of yourself, darling, you know, and, you know, and I'll go on about my business. And, you know, I haven't done it in a while, but I need to start doing that again because it actually made me feel good to know that I was making a difference. And I will put my receipts, my grocery store receipts, in a tithe and offering envelope. Well, needless to say, I got called in for a meeting one Sunday. (laughs) And, um... They were not very happy with me. And I was like, but look, you know, they're being blessed. And, you know, you know, am I not highly favored for being a blessing, right? And they looked at me like, stop with the bullshit, Kill. You know, we want the money. I'm not giving you the money. That's just not going to happen. Not anymore. Right. And, I mean, the same thing with, you know, a lot of these, yeah, caller, I didn't pick you back up because, you know, you go and take your racist bullshit elsewhere. Anyway, you know, and, and, you know, I feel the same way about the secular atheist community because it's, it's a money grab. And we've talked about mm-hmm. this, and you all, you all have to do more than exchange memes and blurbs from Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens. There's more right. to this shit than especially when you're pointing the finger at religious people, especially when something, you know, happens with the pastor. Hell, there was a GoFundMe that I saw this week asking people to, you know, send money to help their pastor get a vasectomy. What, he's too good for a condom? The hell. And why don't he have a good thing, though? You know what, Kim? He needed that vasectomy because they probably, they probably, he probably too busy blessing all the people in the congregation. So I'm just saying, you know. If they if they are if those members of his congregation are benefiting from his particular blessing, and you know what I mean, then then perhaps they can contribute to his vasectomy. I don't see nothing wrong with that. I find it it like extremely ironic to how the religious you know like the religious right especially and those that support the religious right are so against any form of birth control until they're affected. Exactly. You know, exactly. like, you, you read about, there was, a, there was an amazing article that I read about the only moral abortion is my abortion. She, and, she uh, and I read that article. Huh? Uh-huh. 
Yeah, the inbox that to me, you know, when you get a chance. And, yeah, because, I mean, I'll post it. Just inbox it to me. No big deal. And, and, and that's true. That is absolutely true. And, you know, same thing in this community. And I just, I'm looking at it, and I'm just absolutely perplexed. And it's just interesting because, you know, <laughs> you, know while, you know, watching some of these people in this community, and seeing what they're doing, because I mean, I'm already used to religious community. I understand that type of, you know, what they're doing over there, you know. But over here, in the secular community, I thought we were supposed to be, you know, more enlightened. I thought we were supposed to be more evolved, you know. And so, you know, you know, shame on me for expecting better of people in this in this community, you know, because yeah. you know. Again, you know, who are we to hold them to a higher standard, right? So that's why I said not too long ago, you know, the beacon of mediocrity shines brightly in this community because if you're non-threatening, non-challenging, money-hungry, and just on some straight-up bullshit, you know, and got stars in your eyes, you can do well over here. You got a brain? No. Or a couple of initials behind your name from the right, right. Ivy League institution, and then and then fancy <laughs> yourself a social justice uh, activist writer who <laughs> writes horrible things about yep. about and where you cape for white people routinely and protect <laughs> white people's feelings over over the fact of what is going on in McKinley or wherever else. I'm sorry, I had to just throw that out there because that's been oh, on no, my heart. No, no, I, I, I just had to I say heard, what was on my heart this morning. You. Yeah. I, I, no, okay. I, I know you. I knew you feel. I knew you. I knew you would feel me, Red. I knew you would feel me. Thank you. I'm not and kidding. Like, I, I love. I love this whole concept too of you know how the atheist community has come up with the term SJW social justice warriors and denigrated it and right. said. Oh, well, you know, they're just a bunch of social justice warrior nuts and this and that and the other. But frankly, the way I look at it is everybody to some degree is a social That's justice right. warrior. It's just exactly. a matter of who justice you're fighting for. Exactly. Who you're fighting side you're on. Yeah. Right. And the irony, the irony of that in and of itself is the people that are calling us social justice warriors are fighting for social justice itself, but for white men to be, to get their power back as being regular white guys. So, you know, their, 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 their social justice fight is for atheism to become normalized, if you will, for it to become more mainstream, for it to become less polarizing. That is social justice work, assholes. Exactly. And it doesn't even have exactly. to be it doesn't even have to be that extreme. You're right. gonna be campaigning right. for the rights of gay and lesbian people. You're gonna be campaigning for the rights of women. You're gonna be campaigning right. for the right of religion not to rule the land and not to be the law of the land. So you're campaigning exactly. for some degree of social justice for somebody. It's just whose social justice are you fighting for? We just also happen to be saying that we should be, in addition, fighting for the social justice of blacks and all minorities, the Asian-American minorities, the Arab-American minorities, the Latino minorities, the Native American minorities. We should be caring about that, too. 
It's not just exactly. about the mainstream causes that you can attach a label to. So, yes, you are a social justice warrior whether you like it or not. It's just whose social justice are you fighting for? You're fighting for atheism. You're fighting for the LGBT community. That's fantastic. But that's not enough. That's right. That's right. That's right. And it was interesting because I chat a while ago, and it was talking about new atheism, and it was asking, is new atheism an anti-Muslim white supremacy movement? And, you know, we talked about the anti-Muslim um, sentiment in this, or, you know, in this, in this community. And, you know, subsequent to that conversation, you know, um, you know, we had Pam Geller and all those people down in Texas surrounding a mosque, you know, you know, bearing arms. Now, had the, right. you know, the Muslims met to ABC, you know, First Church of God in Christ or, you know, some type of Assembly of God or hell, better yet, Joe Osteen, you know what, World War Five would have broken out. You hear me? And they, in, yeah. in, you know, because of the double standards. But, you know, I said all of that to say this, you know, white supremacy in and of itself is at the core of the secular community in this movement. That is what it is. And unfortunately, right. there are a lot of people who refuse to see it, or they see it, but they don't give a damn because why? They want to they, they want to jockey for a better position. They're trying to get their money on. They're trying to get their celebrity on. They're trying to get their power on. They know exactly what the hell they're doing. And at the end of the day, they don't give a shit about anyone but themselves. And that's why I call them selfish hedonists who only care about themselves. And they give the best ever bobblehead impressions. If you ever go to one of those conferences or watch the videos on YouTube, all you're going to see those tokens of color doing is bobbing their heads, yes, and sitting there with a blank-ass stare because you know they ain't paying attention because you can tell by the bullshit that they spew on their walls and on these blogs. And it's interesting, Raina would talk about that because, you know, the, the, the particular blog she's talking about was actually more than one. It's a few of them. I call them babbling brooks of bullshit, okay? <laughs> and it's, it's just it's just interesting. Babbling you know, brook is actually quite calming. Reading their bullshit is not. That shit drives right, my right, blood right, pressure right. up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, you know, it's just interesting because, you know, uh, just sitting there and watching, you know, all of the stuff that's happening in the community, because let me tell you, there are several of us, and we get on the phone frequently, and we watch this bullshit, and it's the funniest shit ever. It's like watching Wimbledon, you know, going left to right, see them volleying against each other, especially in the blogosphere. You know, you know. After a while, you're like, "Are any of you people happy about anything? Is there nothing that we can agree on?" And so it's just interesting. And then you have certain people in these communities that you know are trying to mark their territory, if you will, being territorial and feeling as though that they are untouchable and that they can make all of these, you know. Um, quote-unquote executive decisions, you know, across the board. And unfortunately, most recently, they have found out that they're not as important as they thought that they were, you know. And, and you know, it's, it's just funny to me. And I'll give an example because, you know, 
Raina put me on to a really, really bad habit called Orange is the New Black, right? And so... Uh, <laughs> it's not a bad self. habit. It is so good for you. Okay. Anyway. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. It was a scene, you know, and it reminded me of a lot of the people in this community. And, you know, I got a, a few specific... Uh, let me see here. I got five people. Five. One, two, three, four, five. And that scene reminded me of them. And it was when Poussey was running around, peeing on top of everything, and, and setting traps like Elmer Fudd. That shit was the funniest thing ever. And I sat there and I rewound it about ten times, cracking up, because that is what some people in this community, this is what you look like. It looks like you're trying to mark your territory and, you know, make these boundaries, you know, with your with piss. Just bullshit. Just bullshit. You know, trying to protect your so-called turf. You have no turf. You have no territory. You have absolutely no power. And fuck you. Why? Fuck you. That's why. And that's my last angry minority rant of the day. So, you know, but again... Let's not forget, too, about, you know, the transphobia that's within the atheist community as well, which is what absolutely oh shocked me. So right. You know, I mean, and, even in the, fem- in the feminist, um, in this atheist feminist group I'm in, like, you would not believe how many turfs we have, you know? Right. Exactly. 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 And see, one thing that I want the people in this community to think about and to realize is, again, this community now, you know, the way that it's, you know, it, it has evolved now is based on a lot of libertarian, you know, ideology. And we need for you all to understand this. And, you know, so, you know, Charlie Hebdo, they were libertarians. Caitlyn Jenner is a libertarian. You know, a lot of the She calls herself that, Republican, but yeah. I agree. She said libertarian. She, no, she said libertarian. Oh, well, I she thought she said Republican on the interview, but maybe no, she, did maybe say she re- saw something different. No, she, okay. saw, she said Republican with libertarian leanings. So, you know. Oh, okay, um, gotcha. Yeah, and so um, you have a lot of that. I mean, either one is bad enough. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, conservative, atheist matter, right? So, anyway, you know, um, we need for you all to understand because when they were, you know, making these different laws, I'll give you an example. In Arizona, when they were saying that, you know, they wanted to be able to not serve, you know, LGBTQ members of, com- of the community or not being right. wanting to serve people of color, you know, and, you know, many of us were outraged. But, see, you know, what I want you all to understand Pay attention to your little libertarian friends there. They are quiet. It's crickets and tumbleweeds when it comes to issues like that because that's a libertarian's wet dream to be able to discriminate and basically call it, you know, capitalism, free trade, and, and, and you know, their right to serve whomever they choose. So, you know, you need to go and you need to understand libertarianism, understand how it works, how it's applicable to your situation here. And unfortunately, the same issues that 
a lot of the people in the Catholic community point to as far as being the issue with um, religious people, the same thing happens over here. You have people that want to complain about the problems, but they don't want to volunteer. They don't want to, you know, go into the community. And you got some people over here that throw money at it. Well, you know, I'd rather have you throw money at it than do nothing. There are some people who just can't do anything, and we understand. So I don't want anybody saying that, oh, I'm, you know, um, you know, being ableist over here. That's not what I'm doing. But I want you to be aware of the history. You need to know where these people stand. You need to pay attention to how they deflect certain questions, and you need to pay attention to what really Yeah, just like them. Rachel Dolezal. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you did know, you see how she? Did you see how she? Did you see how uh-huh. she reacted? Did you see how she reacted to that question? Oh yeah, I don't understand the question. The hell don't you understand about being black? <laughs> Are you an African American? I don't understand the question. So it's like the funniest shit ever. It's the funniest right. shit ever. And that's for somebody who... in the NAACP. Like really? Right, right. I mean, you're in the leadership of the NAACP and you don't understand that question. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. So that's why that's why that's why I said earlier I don't like anyone to anyone who's trying to, you know, say, Oh, you know, she meant well or no, she didn't. She knew exactly, exactly. what she was doing. Exactly. And she profited from it. And she will continue to profit from it. And see that's the whole thing. Even if, you know, the black community doesn't support her anymore, even if the white liberal community doesn't support her anymore. There are still oodles of white people out there that will send her money. Case in point, the officer McKinney, even though he, you know, admitted, you know, that he was wrong and that he overreacted, they still have started GoFundMe's for him. And, you know, what's interesting is, you know, um, you know, one GoFundMe, you know, they raised over $10,000 in 10 minutes. How about that? I'm not surprised. Right. You know, funny how quickly you can get ten grand when you're not of color. Anyway, it's interesting. So, on that note, I think I'm ready to shut it down. We're going to have more information for you guys about the people of color beyond faith, uh, moving social justice, you know, humanist conference. Uh, we had to make a couple of changes. So that information would be out, will be out there and changed really soon. But you can go to the website, peopleofcolorbeyondfaith.org. So you can go out and take a look at our website. It's absolutely gorgeous. You know, our webmaster, the absolute best, you know, and I thank you. Absolutely wonderful. And, you know, most importantly, I want to thank all of you guys. I want to thank Raina and, and Red for joining me today. I even, I even thank our little troll, you know, because, you know, I haven't been on in a while. And, you know, I actually enjoy your calls, you know, so I'll have something to talk about. You always give me something to talk about. I don't get bored. So, at least not with that, I get bored with people. But um, it, it's just it's interesting. We thank you. We appreciate you. We appreciate all that you have done. We appreciate the support and the motivation. Is more of this to come? I had written down what I wanted to talk about next week, but somebody else would do something really crazy this week and make me change my mind. 
Twitter chat. We're bringing it back up this Thursday. We're going to advertise for it Monday or Tuesday. Um, that's 8 p.m. Eastern time every Thursday on the for Color Beyond Faith Twitter account. So we use the hashtag POC Beyond Chat. So look for that and, you know, more information coming forth. Thank you, guys. I missed you. And you know we're out of here, guys. You all have a good rest of the Sunday now, okay? Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.